Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Do you have any do you have any instructions for how I can get to Longview from Medford for two thousand dollars? <laughs> well How the f do I get to Longview? I don't know. I don't know. Hey, if I spent $2,000 for a flight, round trip, from Longview to Medford, from back to Longview, why the f*** am I not on a flight back to Longview? I'm trying, I would say that's a question I've asked before. It feels like that should be a, like, why am I not on my way back to Longview? But I always, I always know why, and, and I'm usually not on an airplane traveling there. What's the thing Longview is most known for? Is there a pulp mill there? Is that right? There is, yes. I mean, there's Longview Fiber. Warehouser has a mill there. I'm not... There's always some sort of downsizing. I'm not always, like, totally up on who's still running it full steam and all that. I mean, they're known for squirrels also. Really? Um, For a long time, I believe this is right, they had the world's first squirrel bridge. Uh, the Nutty Narrows, they call it. They've since installed either hold one on, or two on, more. I, I got some questions. Where does the bridge run? Does it go across a river? No, it just goes over a, a busy street. Like from tree <laughs> and, to tree. And it was put there to uh, cut down on the roadkill? I, I assume so. At least to give squirrels an opportunity to to navigate the road. I've never actually seen, I mean, you just drive, you know, you drive under it real quick. It is, it's kind of, you know, it's a squirrel-sized bridge. I've never actually seen a squirrel on it. Longview does hold an annual squirrel fest, however, uh, to celebrate all things squirrels. A lot of squirrels in Longview. <laughs> uh, that's great. I, Perhaps I really the, this that. gentleman was, uh, you know, he'd bought his tickets and he was he was at risk of missing squirrel fest. <laughs> It's confusing because he says Medford, which is a northwest location, but I believe it's Medford, Oregon to Longview, Texas. That's that's the best I could come up with that would require. I don't know how you get to a two thousand dollar airline ticket without leaving the country. That that, yeah, that takes some doing. Well, I think folks traveling to uh, the Alamo Bowl last year were closing in on that. Really? Yeah. Seattle to San Antonio was, I believe, my flight. Uh, which thankfully my employer paid for, obviously, was $1,400 round trip. Was and that was only direct. That was only direct one way at a layover oh. in Dallas coming back. San Antonio is a challenge to get through. I remember that from my days covering the NBA, that San Antonio was probably the logistically the most difficult place to go. Yeah, I'd never been there. Enjoyed the trip. Not sure it was worth a- $1,400, but. <laughs> It's not a bad city, although I do really enjoy the way Charles Barkley makes fun of that city. I've I've seen that. Dude, he just lays it on. It's the not. Deck. It's not very nice. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Uh, WSU's president is talking again. Really, I, I'll be interested to hear what Kirk Schultz has to say. Uh, first, I think we need to get everybody uh, ready to go for say who say pod. 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 What Kirk had to say? Did I tell you I had a request for a dead a deadpan over the the MFers part too? Really? Yeah. We might have to experiment with that. Okay. 
Let somebody. I don't want to like. I don't want to like drop. Dry, yeah, drop that on someone listening to, to their listening in, in the car with their kids or something. But well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd actually been working on a version of the <laughs> of the hollering uh, airline passenger where I dubbed in the players, sort of somewhat innocuously <laughs> saying that. <laughs> <laughs> over, over that. That's pretty so I'm good. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm not going to do that now. Did no. that motherfucker? I still want to hear it though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is the baby. <laughs> what did Kirk have to say? Is he talking about the media rights deal? A little bit, yeah. He uh, he was speaking at the Coog's first show and career expo in Bellevue to Coogfan.com. Jamie Vinnick of Coogfan.com uh, caught up with him there. This was published on Coogfan yesterday, I believe. He said that uh, he's hopeful a Pac-12 media rights deal will be made in the next few weeks to a month, followed quickly by the possibility of conference expansion. Quote, when it happens, folks, the dominoes are going to fall quickly. Um, and then he spoke to Coog fan directly a little bit after the event and said, we're continuing to have really good dialogue and discussion with several media bidders and media partners. I know our fans are frustrated. I ask everybody to be patient because we have more bidders coming to the table, more people interested as the time goes on, and the 10 schools are as unified as I've ever seen them. He didn't mention anything about consummation, though, so I don't know. I don't know how legitimate that is. I'm glad Kirk Schultz didn't talk about consummation. I don't want to hear Kirk Schultz talk about consummating any deals. They're looking forward to it. The, I mean, at this point, does it does it make much of a difference? I mean, honestly, like it's not like when they announce it, everybody's going to be like, oh, like they really got a good deal. Like they're going to get panned no matter what happens. I think. Like, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's my general guess. It, I could see that, and. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's like politics at this point. The people who have been preying on the Pac-12's downfall and circulating and, you know, buying into every, every pro Big 12 rumor. And I'm not saying there's no legitimacy at all to that. I, I don't, I don't know. I think that's kind of the whole point to this. And those people, it's not like the Pac-12 is, you know, if they somehow get a deal that's a dollar better than the Big 12. It's not like those people are all going to say, oh, wow, kudos to the Pac-12. We were wrong. We were wrong to wish that your conference disintegrated. It turns out that you guys knew what you were doing all along. There will be some justification for why the people who were of that that line of thinking were right all along. And, you know, just like people who are very pro-Pac-12, if the deal ends up bad or if the conference, you know, whatever... They'll, you know, they'll they'll find a way to insist that that their positioning, the position they took on it, was was right all along too. That's how it goes anymore. They talk about in politics, like one of the tricks is that the rich people get the poor people to fight with each other, right? Like to disagree and sort of hash it out among themselves, or convince poor people to vote on behalf of richer people, and and their sort of interests. Is it possible that? the Big 12 and the Pac-12, Pac-10 feud that's happening is sort of a college football example of this. And the reason I say that is I don't think there's any scenario in which the Pac-10 and Big 12 end up better off for what has happened. The Big 12 has lost what I would consider its two most marquee members. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that's true for the Pac-12 because 
I don't I don't think it's as clear cut in the Pac-12 that that USC and UCLA are clearly the two best, though they they probably are if you take them as a net whole. But it's basically two conferences that are taking a step back in the pecking order or not being able to take that next step up to sort of becoming one of the undisputed heavyweights. Like there's there's now going to be mm-hmm. two dominant conferences and neither of those are going to be the Big 12 nor the Pac-10. And honestly, if I think I think if you put the two conferences together, they're not on par with either the Big 10 or the SEC as it's as it's currently constituted. So are we basically just throwing rocks at each other to try and say that like we're not the worst? We're not we're not the worst of the leftovers. Yeah, kind of. Um, I think certainly the Big 12 would, would benefit quite a bit. Like if for all the talk of the four corner schools, like the other three are like, okay, fine. But if they were able to get Utah, I mean, just from like a, a football competition standpoint, that's a that's a pretty healthy brand for them. I mean, that's, that's a, a two-time Power 5 conference champion that's kind of developed a, a nice reputation for itself. With Cincinnati coming in, now all of a sudden you've got their defending Pac-12 champion and a team that was in the playoff a couple of years ago. And none of that comes close to replacing Oklahoma or Texas from a, yeah. a, a TV household's you know brand reputation, media rights standpoint. But it'd be hard to say that like Brett Yormark didn't come in and immediately do like a really amazing job you know, holding the big 12 together and strengthening it for the future in the face of the the hand that they were dealt. But that doesn't mean the big 12 is going to be better off for having like both better both off than better than off it, than they were like the day Oklahoma and Texas said they were leaving or no, before Oklahoma and Texas said they were leaving like both, both the PAC 12 PAC 10 and the big 12 have been hosed by what's happened. And we can have a lot of conversations about why it it went down the way it did, but both of those conferences are now doing damage control, and instead of being resentful at the entire process and how it's played out, it's the two conferences are pitted against each other, which is which is a strange sort of it's it's sort of like hey I don't want to be the one that falls off the back of the the back of the train and gets left behind. Like I, I want to pretend that I'm as good as the Big Ten or the, the the SEC when neither of them neither of them are going to be. And I just think it's there's a little bit of this instead of blaming or understanding the actual forces that have had what I think is going to be an overall negative change in college football and there's no there's nothing to change that now. Like there's not going to be any putting any toothpaste back in the tube. But I think it's really silly how much effort and I will raise my hand and say that I've been one of them that that has has participated in it. Spends a lot of time demeaning either like the Pac-12 looking down its nose like the Big 12 doesn't have as much going on as it thinks and the Big 12 thinking that oh the Pac-10 is going to fold and we're going to get these leftovers from them cuz they don't know what they're doing. Like None of the neither of those facts are tangibly going to benefit the other conference as much as they think it will. Yeah, um, it comes down to like whether there are enough, however you want to categorize it, competitive brands, or you know, 
eyeball demanding brands, teams that can field championship contenders to form a third conference, right? Like is mm-hmm. are, is there enough between the Pac-12, Big 12 and ACC to form a third power conference that blow up the the regionality, blow up the, you know, ignore geography, just ignore geography and can you find 10 teams, 12 teams, 14 teams, 16 teams to put together in a, in a league to, you know, an an ESPN funded league likely to uh to stand up as a a third power conference. And there I think there are, but I also just think there's so many moving parts to that and I mean if you think that USC and UCLA are going to be burdened being part of the Big 10, how do you draw up the the travel in a way for a, a potential third league that ignores geographic bounds? Do you, do you think you can? Like uh, uh, an honest question. Do you think you can take sort of regional and geography concerns out of a successful can you make a, a successful college football conference without having an element of that regionality it depends on how you define success mm-hmm. like if if it's just will people watch it then absolutely it, okay. but is it will will it be a pleasant experience for the, the players no i would say this let's let's go down a little bit more even because will people watch it I think people will watch it on TV. Will the fans watch it? Like if you say we take the three conferences, the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12, and we take the 12 to 16 quote-unquote top programs, and I'm not going to get into the, like, the logistics of which rivalries, but if you took the top teams from there, you absolutely have enough quality, enough quality programs to, if not, if not sort of be on equal footing with the Big Ten and the SEC, certainly in the conversation. It would be a big three then. Would it work? Would it work as a, from a season ticket holder, from the sort of the pageantry around the sport, would it work if you had sort of the best teams from those three conferences, which would then have basically no geographic tie? I think it would. I mean, if you're talking about like Washington is suddenly, you know, wakes up tomorrow and they're in a league with, we'll say, Oregon, Utah, mm-hmm. Florida, Miami, or excuse me, Florida State, Miami, Cincinnati, what, Oklahoma State, TCU. <laughs> be a weird league, man. We get Clemson. It's going to be an extreme Clemson, right, league. Clemson. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be annoying. From a travel standpoint, there'd be a lot of travel standpoint, right? There'd be probably like some legislative discussion on (laughs) is this the is this the right thing to do for the softball and rowing and I'm going to even take that part out of it because and I think that's a very valid part and for me would be a deal breaker. But if you're just saying from football and men's basketball and women's basketball, like you can manage the travel between. If you're not talking about the the overall sports, but as a as a as a spectator, as a spectator sport, and I'm not talking about a TV audience. I'm talking about the actual spectator sport and the thing that goes around it. Does it work? You, you probably lose some of that that gusto. I was talking. We so I had our friends of the program call last night. It was a small, intimate, intimate audience. Um. In in. I was kind of talking about how like you you're in the same conference for long enough with the same schools. 
even the teams that aren't your rivals, like you think about, say, Washington and Arizona, two mm-hmm. schools that like you probably would not mentally couple in any way if you're not like familiar with Pac-12, Pac-10 history. But every two programs that play in a league long enough together, like have their own story, right? Yes. They've kind of got their own history and their own like, oh yeah, like Washington never wins in the desert, or when they when they do, it's uh, it it's it's really tough. It's it's a wild game that goes down to you know last minute overtime, all this stuff. Um, you know, Washington and Cal, like oh, like it's that game's always harder than it should be, even when Cal's not good. It's you know so. I think you you do lose some of that that like institutional knowledge of a of a series between schools, and you know you always start new traditions and time marches on. And I always say, you know, the babies being born today when they get to college, that's that's all that they would know. And right. you know, by the time they're the ones in the seats, that those are the traditions, right? Maybe now Washington and Miami have a you know just just throwing out a, a, a school, but yeah, I, I think at first. You'd have you'd have some of the traditionalists, which right now I think makes up the bulk of the season ticket base, saying like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm not interested in going to a bunch of home games that aren't against Stanford and Cal and the Arizonas and yeah, you know, yeah. and already already USC and UCLA, like you're kind of bemoaning if it's just losing those two, that's really mm-hmm. significant for that piece of it. So I don't know, man. I just think if you had a league where all the schools are are big time football schools that like invest in their program a ton. And this league would only, you know, this, this ridiculous, like hypothetical league where we were cooking up here would only exist if the TV networks were throwing a ton of money at it. In theory, like those are all going to be really good teams. And, you know, you'd still have the same, like, well, so there'd be some really proud programs that suddenly are going to have to get used to like going seven and five every now and then. But yep. Well, that's where, you know, is that so different than Miami's last decade, Florida State's last last decade since Jameis, since Jimbo? Like, you know, those things go inside. I just I think if you had that many like premier brands in a conference, people would come watch. You'd you'd still fight the same, like you're battling against the couch and TV like like you are anyway, like like mm-hmm. college football has been for the last couple decades anyway, but I don't know. I think over time people would would get on board with it, just like you know Washington went to the Big Ten with Oregon and formed whatever Western wing, and you add Stanford and Cal or whatever. And you know, if there's a super conference down the road that's got like twenty plus teams in it, and there's six former Pac-12 programs in it, I think people would would eventually get used to that too. There are there are two programs that I would bring up as potential counterpoints to what you just said. And I'm not saying you're wrong because I, I think I think I generally agree with you. And there are cycles and the idea that one one team's always going to stay the same, like things change in college football. It happens. West Virginia and Nebraska would be two programs that I would point to as in some ways they were kind of on the bleeding edge of some of the the conference shenanigans, as, as I put it, like when the the full fledged screw your neighbor sort of defections and migration happened, which like this is not something that's happened in the last two or three years. Like this has been going on really in earnest for a solid 10 years. But West Virginia is a program that like what's their their most natural rival is probably Pitt. I think they yeah. have the backyard brawl. And they would have been in the same conference, I, 
I want to make sure because I, I get it screwed up maybe, but I think they were in the Big East as it was constituted. Maybe West Virginia was an independent though, like back in the 80s, like when Major Harris, West Virginia played Notre Dame in a like quasi-national championship game. Major Harris was the quarterback. But like West Virginia and Pitt, like those were sort of comparable programs and there was some regional rivalry. Like West Virginia has bounced around and it's lost, like it's now in a conference where it doesn't really have any natural geographic rivals. And it's, I, I think the program is worse off for that. I'm, they've also had some other issues with <laughs> having a coach who was then like the interim coach, what Bill Stewart was there as he was trying to get like Dana Holgerson fight. Like there's, they've had some other issues as well. But Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska in the 80s was it and Oklahoma. One of those two teams almost every year would play for the national title. And they both ran that same boring ass triple option. But they were dominant, dominant programs. And they moved to the Big Ten. And at the time, it looked like this is going to be a huge move for Nebraska. I don't think Nebraska is better off for that move. And it certainly has not turned out the way they thought it was. And again, you can point to, well, you know, they had some Tom Osborne moves on and then they go to Solich and they haven't really found the right coach after that. But they they went from a conference. They don't fit geographically with their with with their conference. I would even say it's not even geographic. They don't fit culturally with their conference. Like that was evident during the COVID stuff, right? When they tried to be like, we're tough. We want to play Iowa. We want to go play in these, these, these big city Rust Belt Northerners aren't letting us play. And, and I always do sort of try to keep in the back of my mind that this, there's, their change is going to be inevitable, but it's not always going to be for the better. And the more invested that I see some people come in the downfall of other conferences, I'm like, most of us are getting hosed here. I don't think college football fans are going to be best served by what's happening right now with all of these. I think the TV networks are going to be best served far and above. And I think the number two winners, like the number two winners out of this are the college administrators because they're going to like slice off their section of the increased money that's coming from these TV deals. I think some players will benefit from it. I, th- I think you'll have players that do get spotlighted more. But fans, coaches, oh, coaches, coaches will get, coaches will get, get paid, some of the money. They'll benefit in in salary, but mm-hmm. their their jobs aren't getting any easier. No, and they, you know, boo boo hoo, right? Because if you're making ten million dollars, you're making ten million dollars. But you're, and all of those things are tied to, in my mind, that it's becoming more professionalized, and that's there's probably nothing to change that right now. But it's not good, <laughs> so. I'm going to I'm going to for the rest of this time I'm not going to make any snide remarks about the Big 12 and the delusions of grandeur that I think they have or any of that because w- the Big 12 and the Pac-10 are were comrades in getting hosed by big football, Christian. I think as long as there's access to a 12 team playoff for six conference champions, it makes sense to try to make those conferences work. Okay. Yeah. Now that 12 team playoffs only going to exist as long as, as the networks want it to. Um, and once it becomes clear that there's an appetite for actually legitimately full on just saying it out loud to super conferences, 
that include more than the 32 teams they're going to include after 2024. Um, you know, once you reach that point, then it's, you know, who knows what it looks like and, and who knows what they'll do with automatic bids and everything. But as long as, as there's 12 teams going and six of those teams are guaranteed to be the, the regular season or excuse me, the, the, the conference champions of, of six different individual conferences, I just I have a hard time believing that Washington's or any Pac-12 team's surest path to the playoff isn't trying to make the Pac-12 work. But maybe that's such a short-term solution that you just shouldn't look at it that way. Because, I mean, off the top of my head, how long does this new CFP contract go? You're probably thinking further out than that as far as, you know, what's the right thing conference affiliation-wise. So, I don't know. It's just, it does, it feels like... It feels like it, there are a lot of people already who would look at it as something of an upset if the Pac-12 held together now and got a media deal done and a grant of rights signed by its ten remaining teams. Um, it feels it just it just feels like it's really really hard to see how it's around at the end of that contract, assuming that it does happen. Yeah. Well, this might be the time that we introduce Ian. Yeah, Ian sounds like we have a. A we have a question, question. that is, uh, is is along these lines, something to start a conversation each week. Ian McFarlane gives us something that's worth a conversation. Ian and his team at IPMC, they can handle any sort of opportunities that you might be looking for, whether it's a consultant to run your sales team or someone to just get those two to three customers. It's worth a conversation. And this week, Ian gives us something that's worth a conversation about conference realignment. Guys... I love an entrepreneur. I really do. I love working with people who have the guts to go out on their own. And that's why I wanted to work with the two of you. But when I offer praise, all I get is cynicism. So there will be no praise this week. In fact, there won't even be a question this week, but just an assignment. And the assignment that every sports writer universally hates most. Realignment. The Pac-12 deal has failed. The 10 remaining teams are going to go their separate ways. Three to the Big Ten, four to the Big 12, two to the AAC, and one will have to travel to Baker Stadium and face the mighty University of Puget Sound loggers every other year because they are heading to the Division Three Northwest Conference. But here's the caveat. Oregon is going to the Big Ten and you cannot take all four Four Corners schools to the Big 12. Have at it. Maybe next time you'll be a little more kind to the people that support your fledgling businesses. Goodbye. He stuck it to us. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> Ian just having some fun. Deserve it. Deserve it. Uh, no, we, that des- is we our deserve friend. that. We did. That is our friend Ian McFarland. Uh, he runs IP McFarland. It's a consulting group. And they're really... A resource that you can use if you're looking for an opportunity to expand sales opportunities, if you've got an idea or are looking for an opportunity, he's someone that is just a great person to talk to because you're not ever sure what's going to come out of that conversation. And he's a guy that knows people and knows things. So IPMcFarland.com. All right, Christian, three to the Big Ten. One of them has to be Oregon. Four to the Big Twelve. But all four, we can't just take Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, and, and, and send them packing. 
It's got to be a, it, it, it can't just be the four corner schools, two to the AAC and one to Division three. Here's the thing. There's, in my opinion, and in in others' opinions too, but this this is the opinion of it, you know, in the realignment chatter that I probably agree with most, is that like there's probably more reason to think the Big Ten covets Stanford than you might assume, based on watching Stanford play football and counting the number of people who attend their home games. Mm-hmm. But I'm sending Stanford to D three. That's exactly what I was gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm not saying that. I just want to make clear though, like I think that's their best fit institutionally. Um they are dominant in many Olympic sports. They Stuff win people don't care about. They win national championships. Obviously they Stuff people don't care about. It many times. Sailing. Yes. Um, elite women's basketball program. That's true. Maybe they can, you know, maybe maybe they can get like a Gonzaga exemption into the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> don't think anyone's really interested to watch Stanford, uh, to watch Tara Vanderveer compete in in the in the Northwest Conference. But uh, just in terms of uh, institutional priorities from from the big campus, upper campus. Have I mentioned this before? That upper campus is only like a UW term. Oh really? Nobody else calls it upper campus. At least I've I've mentioned it to people, and they're like, "What's upper campus?" I'm like, "Oh, is that <laughs> is that literally like a geographic term at the University of Washington that like because the athletic facilities are set down on Mont Lake and the they're at like the actual like school stuff is up like is that oh okay maybe that's why they call it upper campus. <laughs> that's true. The Stanford that's equivalent true. of upper campus cares about um, cares about athletic competition. I would say less than its Pac-12 peers. You're you're understating it because there is a portion of Stanford's faculty that would prefer that there not be anything other than intramural athletics. Or they'd be okay with club stuff. Like there is there is there is a part of the faculty that would be happy if you disbanded football at, at Stanford. Yeah. We're we're fitting Ian's question here by assigning them to D three. There'd be some issues to to iron out where Stanford to go D three. There'd be some very upset athletes who are like, "Wait a second, we compete for national championships with the best of the best. You're sending us to D three. Really, I'd send them to the Ivy League. They'd still be Division one. They'd be with their peers academically. There's no there's no clean solution. That's why this is a good question because it's going to force us to make some decisions here." If we're not sending all four of the four corner schools to the Big 12, then I think Colorado is going to the AAC. Washington is going to the Big 10 with Oregon. And see, are we are we supposed to be making these decisions based on like what we think the presidents are prioritizing and what we think the networks are prioritizing. Because I think if we did send Stanford D three, wouldn't Cal be the only school left that makes sense to go with Washington and Oregon to the big 10? Wouldn't we have to factor in the Bay area households? Yes, that's probably, I think that would also fit with what the big 10 would want. 
if you ask me personally, if under under Ian's circumstances, what I would want is Washington, Oregon, and Washington State to go to the Big Ten because that keeps the two teams that I care most about playing. I don't want Washington to play in a conference without Washington State. Like, no, I, it, I don't think it, anybody really wants that. No, but like it's a deal breaker for me. Like you could sit there and tell me like I'm going to actually be mad if Washington goes to the Big Ten with Oregon without Washington State. Like I, I will feel that Washington should have chosen differently. Um, I don't. I don't want them. I don't want them leaving Washington State, even if that comes at the expense of Washington's football program. Okay. But I don't think the Big Ten wants Washington State at all. I don't think there's any scenario in which the Big Ten takes Washington State. No, uh, or Oregon State. Correct. They, 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 those two programs, and so that would be one of the, I, I don't want Washington going to the Big Ten, basically. But if, if you were going to say three teams in this scenario, I do think it's Oregon, Washington, Cal. Because I think that those are three teams that the Big Ten would actually take. I'm trying to find... It doesn't really make sense on any level to send Utah to the AAC. I think in this scenario, if we've decided that those are your three Big Ten schools, then Utah's probably pretty locked into the Big 12. Um, I'm trying to find room in the Big 12 for both Oregon State and Washington State. Well, what if you did Utah, Colorado, Oregon State, Washington State? Yeah, and you so you're sending... The Arizona schools to the AAC. I'd rather send Colorado to the AAC. Why do you want to send Colorado to the AAC? I don't know. It just seems like a better fit. <laughs> really? They were in the Big 12 back in the day. They got they, they had their time. They got to experience <laughs> two different power conferences. <laughs> and I, I see, I, I've seen, I think we've seen Arizona like invest in its football program at a higher level than it has in the past. It just really? seems like they care more. Yeah, I mean, they got to have some NIL dollars flowing through there. They've they've picked off some transfers. And then there's the basketball consideration, too. The basketball consideration. We're going to put Arizona basketball in the AAC. Yeah, that's true. They're they're yeah. That that that's actually a good point. I think Arizona's got NIL dollars cuz they're not paying their coach any money. Like <laughs> or they might still be paying Kevin Sumlin. Um no, the AAC's got Houston and Memphis. It's not like they're bereft of basketball yeah. school. <laughs> you know what that is, though? Like, both those programs, those are the, the schools that are good when they cheat. <laughs> well, every school's good when they cheat. No, no, no one's going to want to hear for that. Except Tennessee. No, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There are, there are specific schools. Um Often, which have employed John Calipari. <laughs> like that program was hell on wheels when they were cheating, and then all of a sudden they couldn't even sniff the NCAA tournament. Like they'll get no Final Four. I think Memphis was Memphis was in. I think the 1985 Final Four. It was like three Big East teams and Memphis. Uh, I think William Bedford was their big time player. Uh, yeah, Arizona's a. Arizona's a college basketball blue blood, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. What if we went Arizona, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State in the Big 12? We're sending ASU. Yeah, the more I look at it, though, 
I think Washington State's AAC here. If you separate them from, if you separate the Cougs from Washington, I I don't know if I don't know if they're getting into the Big Twelve. They're not. I just um, I'm 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 letting my Pacific Northwest roots show here, and I'm just trying to I'm trying to take. See, here's here's the thing. Here's why, like, it would be really unfortunate to see Washington State and Oregon State left behind. It's not just tradition and you know regional pride and all that stuff. Those two schools punch above their weight way more regularly than they should based on their resources. Yes. And like they, they stretch their dollars further than, than probably makes sense. Like when you look at even like from a recruiting rankings perspective, you look at like Jonathan Smith's classes and the talent that they have there. And it's like, these guys shouldn't win three games, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're two, three years down the road. Like they always got, they, you know, they, they got dudes. So, under Smith, the decade prior to that was a little different, but yeah, and the decade prior to that was they well they got good when they got Dennis Erickson there, but prior to that, I mean that was that was a wasteland. I mean they were one of the last programs in the country running that horrible triple option. The reason, so we all have affection for Washington State. I think in in the state of Washington, I think even the most snooty Husky fans, which I can be one of. There is something so endearing about that school and every Husky fan, no matter sort of like how stuck up they are about things, there's a small part of them that is very envious of the experience that Washington State students and fans have because of how remote and isolated Pullman is and the closeness that that breeds among the students and anyone that's gone there. I I love you, Dub. And really, I wouldn't change my decision or anything about that. But it's in a big city, and it's a different experience because of that. And I know, I remember what it was like the first time when I went over to Pullman. And the idea that that experience sort of gets relegated, which is what it feels if they get separated from Washington in this this conference realignment, is probably the reason that I'm fairly adamant about, like, I don't want to go to the Big Ten. Even even though I recognize that's probably the best path for UW. And if if Washington and Oregon don't jump right now and this new deal comes together and six years from now, the Pac-10 or whatever it's configured as sort of dissolves that Washington will be worse off because of it because they will have fallen farther behind. Like I recognize all that and I still don't want to go there because I don't, I don't want to lose that bond with Washington State. Yeah, I think a lot of Husky fans probably feel similarly i would guess that there's you know there are people in decision making positions on on those campuses that feel similarly i don't know that they feel strongly enough that way that's going to like stop them from accepting a big 10 invite if it's on the table and they you know they feel like that's what's best for their school but and like look there's still going to be non-conference games and as hard as it is now yeah for washington to schedule non-conference games like wouldn't it be wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't it be pretty pretty simple and clean to just say one of those every year is the Apple Cup? You know what though, you're right. If I'm Washington State, I am going full Lorenzo Romar versus Mark. Full on Petty. Full on Petty. I would be tempted. Never. I would be tempted. We will never play your school in anything ever again. <laughs> I would be. I I would be so petty about it. But it would it would depend on where they wound up. Like, does is it is it like a cinch sure thing that if 
if the Pac-12 implodes and Washington ends up in the Big Ten, then you know Wazoo is is destined for the Mountain West, or would there you know would the Big Twelve in this scenario depends what happens with the four corner schools. Supposedly, you know, they're in the conversation vetting San Diego State. They're probably looking at SMU. They want to, and SMU doesn't accomplish this, but they want to come west. Like, your mark's been clear about that. If Oregon State and Washington State are sitting there, what's more valuable about San Diego State? Would the TV households win out? Or would these two programs that have a history of playing in a Power 5 conference and have power, like, legit Power 5 rosters, not legit? playoff contender rosters maybe Oregon State eh, we'll see but you know would they would they become attractive to the Big 12 or in this scenario is Washington only getting a Big 10 invite because they've lost all leverage because Colorado Utah Arizona and ASU have bailed for the Big 12 a lot of moving pieces it's almost like Danny we just need to wait to see what happens (laughs) okay let me go through one more so we've said Oregon, Washington, and Cal in the Big Ten. What if we take Washington out of there? Is there any chance Utah goes to the Big Ten? I don't think any so. Chance, any chance the snobs from the Big Ten would, would accept Utah? No. I mean, just aren't enough eyeballs, right? Colorado. It's a great program. Great, great football program. Colorado's I, got Denver. They've got Deion Sanders. Maybe their buzz. Could it be Oregon, Colorado, and Cal that go to the Big Ten? So this was a thing right after Deion was hired and George Klyovkov was um, still making public appearances. And he said <laughs> he, made, he made a remark about how Dion certainly like wouldn't hurt the media rights valuation or something. And then I think probably regretted that and walked yeah. it back a little bit. Um, it, and like the walking back is is what what I focus on. Because when he said that, it was like, you think that a head coach, like an individual head coach, is going to like dictate how much money a TV network gives you over a five- to seven-year contract? Like, who could leave tomorrow for another? Like, and I don't say that because he's Deion Sanders, just in the sense that any coach could leave tomorrow for another job or quit or, you know, whatever. So that was kind of weird. But they do, you know, it would be ex- like independent of how attractive it makes them to a potential conference or TV partner. It would like, it makes it more fun, right? Like if, you know, this, the fact that Colorado's involved in any of these discussions and Deion Sanders is their coach. Like it adds another element to it for people like you and me to, to bandy about and, and, and discuss, but I don't think it has really any bearing on whether a league would or would not want them. Can we, I'm going to get back to that thought in a second, but I want a quick sidebar. Who is going to be the first Pac-12 football coach to feud with Deion Sanders? It's going to happen. What would it be over? Recruiting? It could be over any number of things. You know what? I think it's going to be one of those one of those behind the scenes feuds similar to the way that conference schools have been feuding with Oregon for the last several years over <laughs> recruiting and roster management and negative uh-huh. recruiting. Okay. It's going to be that like there's there's going to be some kids who are told by by coaches other coaches in the conference that like oh well yeah you could go to Colorado and you could move all your stuff in the dorm and then get called into coach Sanders office and and get that hey buddy talk you know time to hit the portal yeah so like there's going you know that's going to 
that's going to be a thing. So we'll see if like there's any programs who lean on that, you know, who are if it comes down to it. And that's how you'll know which programs are most threatened by Colorado on the recruiting trail. So I would go at it from a different angle. I would say which coaches have a don't really care. They don't give a fig. Uh Chip Kelly's at the top of that list of <laughs> Chip Kelly. Like if someone asked him his opinion about someone he didn't like, he might tell you what his opinion of that person is. E- even if he doesn't say, I don't like them in one of those sort of like, I don't spend any time thinking about that person you just asked me about because I don't even know his name, like something like that. Um, I would say Chip Kelly also because he doesn't have much to lose because they're leaving. They're not going to be in the same conference for much beyond it. And I could see Dion really trying to hit some of the Southern California recruiting spots. Colorado has recruited there before. I could also see Kyle Whittingham in a, a certain type of, he wouldn't directly acknowledge it, but in his no nonsense way, making it clear, he has no time for some of the, 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 the types of uh, high visibility activities that may be going on at the, 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 his his fellow Pac-12 colony because they're both kind of the new junior members. I think if I was going to lay, I think those would be the two most likely. Um, I don't know Dan Lanning well enough to know if he's got, I just know that he puffed a cigar after they flipped that one commit. So maybe he does have a little bit more panache than I think. Um, I would say that Kalen DeBoer is maybe the least likely. Like I can't imagine a scenario in which Kalen DeBoer says anything sideways about about Dion or even like acknowledge it like says something or anybody to any yeah I just I don't I don't see him doing that ever Lincoln Riley seems pretty understated but he's probably the one that would be he's probably the one Dion's gonna come after the hardest because it's sort of like pick on the pick on if, the bully pick a fight with the big person yeah and Dion's got I mean I think Lincoln Riley's more toward the the end of the spectrum that that would wouldn't feud with him because he lives in the ultimate glass house when it comes yeah. to some of those things yeah. like oh i i flipped my i flipped my roster at colorado yeah where's let me look at usc's <laughs> 2021 roster hey lincoln where where'd all these guys go oh they all did they all decide to leave or did you maybe uh did you maybe encourage some of them so um yeah that it, that's kind of the one thing I keep coming back to with India Dion's doing it obviously to a greater degree than has ever been done in the history of college football, um, which really you're just talking about the portal era. So it wasn't, wasn't really possible longer ago than five years or so, but um, Lincoln Riley put a, he, he made some decisions, you know, so he doesn't, doesn't have a ton of room to talk on chip Kelly. Uh, I always just like, I like to check in on UCLA's scholarship offer numbers. They've offered 47 prospects in the 2024 class <laughs> so far. Is there anyone in America that cares less about college recruiting at a power five than Chip Kelly? Stanford has offered 105. Yeah, and you know that they've worked really hard to identify the 105 people that they think could get in. <laughs> <laughs> so. That is the highest level of work that has gone into those. Not, those, not those boom hundreds. times for, uh, any, of course, of course that UCLA, much of that is by design. He wants transfers and has pulled in, uh, a good number of, of very high quality ones over the years. So, 
All right, Fair I'm enough, picking Chip but... Kelly. I think I think Chip's the first one that's going to have a little back and forth with Dion. I just see. I just don't think he cares cares to to get into it like that. Chip Kelly has a burn a doodle. He's on my list of of uh, athletes and and high profile high profile athletes and celebrities who own the same kind of dog I do. What's a burn a doodle? It's Bernie's half poodle, half dog? half Bernie's Mountain Dog. Yeah, Bernie's Mountain Dog is an awesome dog. I, how His is a lot bigger than mine. What's that? How do they mix with a poodle? What kind of temperament do you get? Um, I feel like it kind of depends. Our dog, so Bernie, Bernie is like, just he wants he wants you to pet him all the time. Like yeah. anyone who anyone who comes over, he's just he. Bernie's Mountain Dogs do this thing where they they sit and lean up against like they'll just yes. come and sit right on your feet and lean against your leg he does that oh that's awesome. he's he's very he has all the the bernie's mountain dog traits but i read a i, I read um a ucla story that mentioned chip kelly's dogs and he's got one that's like 120 pounds nice my my old boss at uh at bonneville uh the station manager uh he had a bernie's mountain dog absolutely fantastic Buford was the dog's name, which I thought was a great name for a dog. I've often thought, like, if you could pick a presidential cabinet based on dog breeds and you'd have to have a different breed for each position, I've often said Poodle is the top choice as president. Like, extremely smart. They're very smart. More athletic than a lot of people give him credit for. Great-looking dog. Like, I just think kind of got a... You feel that a, a well put together poodle is is a pretty impressive dog. People have always thought of him as smaller, but they're a bigger dog than people think about. Like, I think I go German Shepherd for like defense secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Sharpay, which would be suitable for no cabinet positions until we got like Minister of the Interior or something because they're just a lazy dog. Um, I love them. I absolutely love them. If you were going to give your dog, what's your dog's name? Bernie. Bernie the Bernadoodle, if you're going to give him a position in a presidential cabinet, which which position would it be? Oh, my gosh. Nothing that requires any, like, strength of will. Oh, really? He's very, he, he's just, he's a big, he's a big, goofy, like, teddy bear of a dog. So he looks like a, he, he looks like a giant fuzzy teddy bear, and, and he acts him? like it. Yeah, yeah, an ambassador, yeah. An ambassador to a country that the United States has a very congenial um, relationship with. Not not one where there'd ever need to be any like tough talks or confrontation. Well, maybe you'd want to send Bernie to one of those nations where you do. Like, you could soften him up. Like, hey, Bernie can handle anybody. The prickliest character. He'll warm him right up to him. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, he's uh, he, he's like a special advisor to uh, to, to one of the, the sterner dogs. Where he's like, hey, just go, just go sit on him, you know, just go sit on his feet. <laughs> People have told me corgis, like a corgi, would be a great choice for an important decision-making role, perhaps Secretary of State. But I've always like they're a little smaller. Like I'm not, so maybe people yeah. can suggest uh, what dog breeds they would like uh, for different cabinet posts via Twitter or something. Before we leave Ian's conversation, I'm going to go back. I'm going to give you my my layout, and you can you can poke holes in it. The three schools going to the Big Ten. I'm sending Oregon, Colorado, and Cal. Four schools to the Big 12. University of Washington and Washington State. Utah and Arizona. Two to the AAC. 
ASU and OSU. That's probably more color scheme than anything else. Like I think the Sun Devil and Beaver colors, like they they just strike me as axe, ax, like AAC, <laughs> and then Stanford goes D three. There's worse ways to do that. <laughs> um, we agree on Stanford. If we if we have to pick one of these ten teams to go D three, yeah, Stan, you know, PLU and, and UPS would be thrilled. They'd be pumped. Yeah. And that was a part of me, like, if I really didn't like Washington State, that's what I would have said for the Cougs. But you can tell, like, I really do like Washington State. And I want to see, yeah, I want to see a, I want to see a positive outcome for Oregon State and Wazoo. I don't know what that means exactly, but, and like, I don't, I don't know that those two programs being in the Mountain West would, would be the worst thing, yeah. especially if they, they're losing San Diego State. I mean, Shoot, Danny, what's Oregon State and Washington State's best path to the playoff? Oh, it's for sure getting a getting a hot streak in a lesser conference and, and finding a year where you have a big non-conference win and then it would be blowing their way through like Cincinnati or, or one but of you those. But like, you don't need the big non-conference win. Yeah, you need to win. True. I mean, you you might if there's a if there's a, an AAC MAC type program that's undefeated um and so you're going to need to be ranked higher than them to get that sixth auto bid then yeah but hey there's an apple cup every year right <laughs> presumably oregon state would still play oregon every year yeah. so that the opportunities would be there and you know then now you're you're playing a mountain west schedule that doesn't include san diego state still got to deal with fresno boise air force is all right every now and then I don't know. Say Who Say Pod has 175 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. We'd love for you to be the 176th. I shouldn't say that. It it has a five-star rating, and there are 175 ratings. It doesn't mean they're all five stars, but close enough. We'll see. We are in in a tin can with a baby in a goddamn echo chamber, and you want to talk to me about being... Okay. Okay, because you're, you're yelling. So That's is the baby. baby. Okay, so you're a man. <laughs> Get that man to Longview.